Welcome or welcome back to the Sunnybrook Unscripted Podcast. I am Lydia Miller here with my dad, Pastor Jeff, and we are on week two of a little mini series we are doing on Christmas. Basically, all of the things that Pastor Jeff wants to be able to tell you about the Christmas story that he doesn't have time to do on Sunday mornings. There's a lot of truth to that. Yes. In fact, everything I would like to bring people to Israel to show them, Yes. I'm trying now, to give you right now. Now we're just going to talk about it. So this could be a lengthy episode. You it never could know. Be. You never could know. be here for a couple hours. Uh, but we, last time, if you didn't have a chance to tune in, I would encourage you to go back. We started at the very beginning of the Christmas story, and we made our way to the birth of Jesus. We talked a little bit about where that took place and all of that. And I want to jump back in right where we left off talking about the birth of Jesus, because there's some meaning and context we weren't able to give there. Um, As I'm sure you're familiar with, um, those of you who are listening, Jesus is born in Bethlehem, which we talked about the prophecy fulfillment that was, but there is even more meaning to Bethlehem than that. There is. In fact, in today's day and age, if you go to Bethlehem, it's found in the West Bank. It's kind of this poverty-stricken area. It's fascinating to me that Jesus is born in Nazareth. Or Mary and Joseph are from Nazareth. So anytime somebody says, hey, can anything good come from Nazareth? Remember Nathaniel says that in John chapter 1, where it was both announced and Jesus grew up and where he was born are very poverty-stricken areas. Uh, fascinating that the word Bethlehem actually bait lahem. Hmm. Lahem means bread. Bait means house. That's why your mom, whose first name is Beth, has always struggled with the fact that... Her name means house. Her name means house, <laughs> right. But it does in this respect. And I, I think this is a fascinating part about it. Again, following the prophecy of Micah chapter 5, that Jesus be born in Bethlehem, people say, well, why in this house of bread? Well, Jesus actually becomes the bread of life. So he is born in the very house of life. So, so, so there's a sense in which, you know, he becomes the bread of life, the very thing, the sustenance. Again, in order to live, especially in that day and age, you needed bread. Bread was just necessary for everything. The meat was sort of a luxury, but in order to sustain life, you needed bread. And, and there's just deep meaning in the fact that Jesus becomes the bread of life and he's born in the house uh, of bread, if you will. So there's just some fascinating things about who Bethlehem is and, and that prophecy. So after Jesus is born, um, we read that shortly after, I think it's eight days after, they go and they have him dedicated at the temple. They have this interaction with Simeon, who's this older prophet who approaches them. As soon as I was a mom to a newborn, I had a brand new appreciation for what this interaction was like with Mary. I remember bringing my children into public for the very first time, even bringing them to church. And I was like, keep them in the car seat. Nobody touch, nobody come near. People say weird things. And here Mary has this interaction with Simeon that's really remarkable. It is. And it's, it has special meaning to us. We, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, I have a son, Simeon, you have a brother, Simeon, and and we have an incredible story that kind of follows along that same line. But it's also interesting to note that he shows up on the eighth day. Um, And physicians will know this, but the eighth day of birth is when vitamin K comes into your body, which has the ability to clot blood, Mm -hmm. so to speak. So now he's circumcised on the eighth day, the very day that blood has the ability to clot. They bring him to the temple. This is done all throughout uh, Jewish days. They make their way, and now all of a sudden, they run into this elderly couple, Simeon and Anna. Mm-hmm. And the two of them are working there in the temple. And now, you know, it had been said to Simeon that he wouldn't die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. It's part of our story for Simeon is, you know, mom had a dad who didn't know Christ, and he said those words at one point in time that 
he hopes he doesn't die until he sees a little boy and Simeon eventually is born. And we use that name. But it's fascinating to see that through sort of an angel, Simeon finds out, hey, listen, I'm not going to die. And all of a sudden, the scripture says that, again, the spirit says to him, hey, Here's the reality. This is the Christ child, and Anna and him come alongside. I'm guessing they held the child. Is, is there any way we could hold him? And then they got these words of incredible prophecy uh, to Mary as well in that time when they sort of go through that ritual of bringing the child on the eighth day to the temple. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing we haven't hit on in the Christmas story yet is the Magi. In our nativity scenes, we see Mary has the baby, the shepherds show up, the magi show up shortly after that. Go ahead and shatter some perspectives and talk for a moment about the magi. All right, let's talk about them for a moment because we always put them in the picture of other Christmas stories. We Mm -hmm. see them with the shepherds, we see them with Mary and Joseph, and we see the manger and all of that. It's very likely, most scholars would say, that the Magi do not show up at least four to six months, maybe even likely as much as a year. Interesting to note in that portion of scripture in Matthew chapter two, because we just went from the latter part of Luke chapter two, uh, where Jesus is dedicated to the temple, and now we come uh, to Matthew chapter two, the opening part there. And this is where the Magi visit. So they have to make their way from the east. We don't know exactly where in the east. It could have been India, China, Persia, But it is a four to six month travel by caravan, which they did in those days across the desert in order to make their way to Bethlehem. And again, they don't meet them in Jerusalem. They don't meet them in Nazareth. I think the couple stayed for as much as a year in Bethlehem. And I don't think they stayed in the cave any longer, but likely some relative of Joseph put them up and they were there as long as a year because that's where the Magi arrive. In all honesty, we don't even know that there were three. There were three gifts. Mm but it's likely there could have been a dozen of them. They would travel together in caravans. They were wealthy. They were astrologers. They were doctors. They were philosophers. And often, you know, people would be robbed along the road. So they they usually would have a larger band of them that travel together. But they saw the star. They make their way to Bethlehem. And it's likely that it's probably as much as a year later. Uh, It's interesting to note even the word there. When Jesus is born, the word is used for a baby now when they come and they say they come into the presence of the child, it's, mm. it's an older child. The, the Greek word that is used there would give you the idea that this is, is more of a toddler mm-hmm. than it is a baby. Now, let's talk for a moment about the gifts, because I personally feel like if it would have been wise women that would have arrived, they would have come with some practical items. But these men show up with some incense, some gold, but there's purpose there is. You know, first of all, men are not good shoppers, right. so they don't know what to bring. But these gifts that they bring are prophetic in themselves. So they bring the gift of gold. Gold mm-hmm. signifies kingship. You know, there was purity to gold. Gold was often given to kings as sort of this thing, uh, this present that uh, they would give. So they're saying, in effect, hey, listen, this little baby that is born, this is a king. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, they're going to bring frankincense. Mm-hmm. You know, and frankincense was used in the temple priests would light it. It sort of wafted in the presence of God and was pleasing to him. So they say not only is he a king, but he's also a priest that ultimately he's going to be the one that offers sacrifice on the behalf of the people. That's what priests did in that day and age. And then finally they bring him myrrh, which is actually an embalming spice. Mm -hmm. Why why would you bring an embalming spice Mm -hmm. to a baby except to signal again that he was not only prophet, mm-hmm. it was not only priest, he was king. This idea that eventually he was going to die for the sins of mankind. You know, 
Joseph said, hey, listen, uh, we're to call him Jesus. Jesus or Joshua is actually a very common name, but it means save now. And so mm. he came to be the savior, Yeshua, Joshua. Jesus came to be the savior of the world. So he eventually was going to die. So when these magi come, they come and they bow in his presence. They don't bow in Mary's presence. They don't bow in Joseph's presence. They bow in the presence of a child. And they give these gifts that sort of signal exactly who Jesus is. And as powerful and special and all of those things as that moment is, the what's happening around them outside of the little bubble of them coming and you know, worshiping Jesus as he's a child. There's a lot happening in the world around. In fact, they don't even go the same way home because of the threat that currently exists for Jesus and anyone near him, essentially. It's part of how we know how to time the birth of Jesus and those kinds of things, because we know that Herod was reigning at this point in time, Herod Antipar. So so he's there, and he's reigning, and he's ruling, and recognize uh, this is a very strange individual. When you study him a little bit, you recognize he struggles with paranoia. He didn't want anybody to be over him. The number of family members that that man killed. Unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. His wife, his sons, his daughters, uh, eventually he brother-in-law, all of the people around him that he thought were somehow going to overthrow him, have a coup on his reign. He literally had them destroyed. In fact, five days before he died, most scholars would mm-hmm. say that he... Uh, huddles together all of the most popular people in that area and says, when I die, execute these people so that so somebody sad enough. <laughs> will mourn uh, my death. So, yes, yeah, strange dude. So, so he, you know, sort of says in effect, hey, listen to the wise men, come back to me, report, because I want to worship him, which he didn't mean at all. And so the Magi make a decision because God appears to them again in a dream and they head a different direction. They head a different route home. Mm -hmm. Which then also happens for Mary and Joseph. It does. Now again, an angel comes to Joseph, comes in a dream, the scripture tells us, and tells them, hey, listen, you got to flee because Herod's about to decree that every child in Bethlehem under two years of age is going to be slaughtered. So go. And they flee to Egypt, and many people say they made their way to Alexandria, Egypt. Uh, And the reason is because that's where a Jewish community was, and they think that it's likely Joseph had some relatives there too, because he had to have somebody to stay with. So they make their way to Egypt, they flee because of Herod uh, and this decree that he's about to make, and and now uh, they settle in Mm -hmm. that Egypt area before they go back to Nazareth. Mm -hmm. And is it in this moment, is there an Egypt that the decree comes down from Herod of the killing of kids two and under? Yes, and uh, it, it's fascinating to see once they flee, now all of a sudden Herod, and you've got to get there, but there is this mountain known as Herodium. Eventually mm-hmm. his body is buried there, and, and often he built this just because there was a mountain next to it that was smaller, and he wanted to have a mountain that was greater. It became kind of this fortress that he lived in, uh, became a palace, all of those kinds of things. But it actually overlooked Bethlehem. In fact, We will often take groups and we'll stand on the top of this. And you can recognize, you can hear Mm. chickens and goats and those kinds of things below in Bethlehem. So if you can imagine for a moment, he issues this decree for the slaughter of all children under the age of two years. years. And you can imagine that he hears the cries and the screams, Mm. not only the pain of the children, but of the moms. Mm -hmm. Because you can hear all of that in Herodium this mountain that sort of overlooks all of Bethlehem, and he sends this decree, thankfully, because of God's providence, Mary and Joseph had taken Jesus, and now they're in Egypt. Mm-hmm. So eventually, after Herod's death, then they, 
then they kind of have this freedom or this safety to then head back to their hometown of Nazareth. Yes. Word comes to them in Egypt, hey, listen, Herod's dead. So, so now you're welcome to come back. And at first, you know, Scripture gives us the idea that they're going to make their way back towards Jerusalem. But uh, again, they get word that the best place for them to go is Nazareth. Nazareth at that point in time was a very small town. Again, not well known. Uh, probably a town, you know, like uh, Hinton or those kinds, of, where, where it's just a little bit smaller. Um, and, and everybody sort of knows each other. And so... He grows up in that very day and age. Later on, Scripture is going to tell us he has brothers and sisters, half-brothers, half-sisters mm-hmm. um, that he grows up with. But eventually, he's going to come to that time where he's going to make his way into his public ministry, probably when he was roughly 30 years of age. That's when most rabbis mm-hmm. would begin their teaching ministry. And so that's what Jesus does. He gets this band of followers around him. He becomes this rabbi, and he begins his ministry at about mm-hmm. the age of 30. It's always startling to me how little we have. We have so much detail of his birth. And then obviously the Gospels are all of this detail about his ministry. We have essentially one line of Jesus' adolescence and what it was like for him to grow up. Yeah, It just simply says that he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man, which is, I think, four fascinating things Mm -hmm. that, you know, as you and I start a new year together here, those are great areas for us to grow in. Wisdom, stature, favor with God and favor with man. Mm -hmm. And, and again, that's all that we really hear about him until he begins sort of his public ministry, which starts with his baptism with John the Baptist, Matthew chapter 3, where he sees the Spirit of God descend like a dove, the voice of God from heaven, and this is my son whom I'm well pleased. And then he begins his public ministry there for about three years. Uh, and again, calls his followers. They do ministry together especially in that gospel triangle area up by the Sea of Galilee. And then eventually he makes his way to Jerusalem where he dies for the Mm -hmm. sin of mankind. Mm -hmm. I remember when I first turned 33 and you looked at me and the only thing you said to me was, that's when Jesus died. Yeah. Wow, I have done way less with my life than Jesus (laughs) did. Yeah, it's interesting because people often take that age and say, well, what would be the perfect age in Mm -hmm. heaven? And some people will often use that, that that's kind of the age we'll be in heaven. Mm -hmm. I have no idea if that's true, but it's fascinating. (laughs) Well, I would encourage you, if you've not spent a ton of time in the Christmas story, especially before we get to the Christmas services, it's such a great thing to spend time in. And if you're someone who usually start at Luke 2, I would encourage you to go back to Luke 1 and read the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth and get the full context of what all is happening in the world um, when Jesus first came. It's it's such a busy season, but it's such a good season to prepare your heart for what you're going to celebrate as Amen. well. If you have not done so, we have Christmas services coming up at the Orpheum. So I'll talk to your family. You can reserve a seat to be there, and we would love to see you at any of those. Thank you so much for tuning in.